This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Before God created the world, His infinite light filled the whole world what we call the Ur Ein Saf, which all the Kabbalists talk about, the Ur Ein Saf, which does not mean, like we learned the other week, does not mean the light from the infinite. The infinite here is not referring to God. It's referring to God's light. Because God cannot be called the infinite. God is not the infinite. God has no beginning. Not only is the infinite, means no end, God has no beginning. So when we refer to the infinite, we're not talking about God. We're not talking about the light, like the light from the sun. The sun is the source and the light from the sun. We talk about the Ur and Saf, we're not referring, Ein Saf is not referring to God, the light from the infinite. No. God himself is beyond any definition, beyond any description. You can't call God infinite, you can't call God finite, you can't call God is no beginning, God is... The moment you open your mouth, it's already not God. So no matter, no matter what you're going to say, we're not talking about God, you can't talk about God. We're talking about the light from God. God emanates from within Himself. He emanates a light. Just like the sun gives off light, everything in this world is just here to give us an analogy, to help us understand its source. So the sun and the light, the idea that the sun gives off a light, is a helpful analogy that helps us understand, understand the source. That so to God, so and God gives off from him, within Himself, emanates from Himself a light, a reflection of Himself. Just like the light of the sun reflects the sun, it comes from the sun, it's connected to the sun, it has, everything it has is, comes from the sun, it's nothing other than the sun, and it's a true, it points to the sun, and it's a true reflection of the sun. It's about heat, it's about light, it's about energy, because it's a reflection of the sun. So too, the God's light that God emanates, chose to emanate from within himself. Not like the sun. The sun has no choice. The sun doesn't choose. And it can't wake up one morning and say, today I'm not in the mood of giving off light. You know, God created it. It has no choice. But in this case, the analogy is not an accurate analogy. Not God has a choice. God chose and chooses to emanate from within himself a light. But this light is a reflection of God. So therefore the light is infinite. And it has infinite capacities. And it's because it's a God. It's a reflection of God. So even though it's not the essence of God, and God chose to emanate from within Himself, and the relationship of the, light of, this, of the light of God to God is like the relationship of the light of the sun, just like the, what's the relationship of the light of the sun to the sun? To the sun, it doesn't matter if there is light, there is no light. It doesn't add to the sun, doesn't take away from the sun. It's not like the sun invests itself in the light. It gives a piece of itself. You're not getting a piece of the sun when you have the light. That's why you can't bottle the light. There's no sun, there's no light. The light is nothing. The light is just a reflection of its source and is constantly connected to its source and is constantly renewed from its source. 
So, so too, the light of Hashem, the infinite light, has nothing on its own. And it doesn't affect God in any way. It doesn't add, doesn't take away. It's not that God's essence is invested in the light. So the whole source of creation is not the essence of God. The essence of God remains completely unaffected. God is not invested in the in the in creation. It's not like an artist who's creative, you know, with a canvas and God is expressing his creativity in this world. No. The artist invests himself in that art. God does not invest himself in the world. The whole source of the world is God's infinite light. And the light in relationship to its source, the God, is no it's, means absolutely nothing. It's not invested. It's not a piece of the, of the essence. You know, it's like a difference with you know, the Kabbalists talk about the here versus the, um, the body in relation to the soul. The body in relation to the soul, the soul is invested in the body. The soul is found in the body. Every cell of the body is alive, down to your, to your toenail is alive. The soul is invested in your body. But the here, even though it's attached to your brain, it's attached to your head, it's not like your brain is invested in your hair. That's why when you cut your body, it hurts. You cut your finger, it hurts. You cut your hair, it doesn't hurt. If someone pulls your hair, it hurts, because the hair is rooted in your... But, the, but it's not like the life force is invested in the hair. It's completely external and superficial. It has a life source. If you pull the hair, it hurts. So it's connected, it's alive, it grows. But it has no, it's not invested. It has no life. It's not alive. Like the body is alive. Like your finger is alive. Your fingertip hurts. So the light is completely external to the essence. It's not that God's essence is invested in infinite life. But even this infinite light was too much. Because it leaves no room for anything to exist. Because what's this infinite light all about? Its whole being is, it's all about pointing to its source. Just like the light of the sun, it points to its source. It's not me, it's the sun. All there is is God. The infinite light is the sense. All there is is God. There is nothing else. It's infinite. There's no limits. It's infinite. It's, it's a reflection of God. It's a, it's a points to God, is connected to God. There's nothing else. There's no room for any existence. There's no room for anything outside of God. All there is is God, 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 God. So there's no room for creation. There's no room for angels. There's no room for being. There's no room for time, for space, for world, for existence. All there is is God. Everything is completely nullified before God. There is nothing. Just like within the soul, like we learned earlier, and you have words and letters. When you speak, right? You come up with words and letters with which you speak with, with which you communicate. Where did these words and letters come, come from? They didn't come from thin air. They come from within you. You think up of words and letters to express ideas and feelings and what's going on inside of you. But where were, where were those words and letters before you spoke, before you came up with these words and letters? They were within you. But before you thought about what am I going to say and how am I going to say it, before you came up with language to express it, when you just have the raw experience, the raw emotion, the raw concept, before you get to words and letters, those words and letters that you eventually use are all there, within you. 
but you can't even find it. You don't even notice that you have it, because it doesn't exist. It means nothing. All that exists is you, your soul, your raw experience, your being. So there's no room for anything but God. All, all that you sense is God. There's nothing. So all the words and letters with which God created the world, God's ability to create the world, to create something finite and limited, God's words and letters with which He creates the world, so all of these words and letters were within God. Like, it's like you can't even notice it within yourself. You can't even find it. What words? What letters? I don't know what you're talking about. Or to use a physical analogy, the Kabbalists use the analogy when you cook water. Everything in this world is made up of four, all four elements. Even within water, there is the element of earth. You can't find it. You sift the water, beautiful water, no dirt. Then cook this water. You know what's going to happen? You'll always find at the bottom of the pot, you'll always find sediment. No matter how many times you strain the water and you filter it, you'll always find some sediment. But where? You can't even see it. It's not even here. But it is there. But now all I notice is water. I don't see anything else. It's completely, it's like, it's like nullified. It's not there. But then, when you cook out the water, suddenly it emerges. This is the idea of Tzimtzum. That God had to completely remove Himself. Remove His infinite light. Remove that infinite aspect of Himself. His infinite expression. And then suddenly, his ability to limit, his ability to create something limited, um, suddenly emerges, emerges and, and surfaces. Um, by the way, talking about, we talked about earlier about marriage, I think we should all give a hearty mazel to Mr. Kaskas for uh, Jonathan became a chassan. His son, Jonathan, just became a chassan. Engage. Engage. Mazel tov, mazel tov. So, as a result of the symptom, now when God suddenly, like when you remove the water, suddenly oh, I see the earth. I didn't see it before. I didn't even know it existed. I couldn't even find it. So, to God's ability to create something limited or to limit God's words and letters with which he defines suddenly it emerges as a result of the tzimtzum of the radical tzimtzum when God completely removed himself and suddenly the words and letters now emerge and surface to use another analogy when you when you read something and you read the language you understand the language do you, do you even notice the words? what do you notice? when you read the language you're not reading the letters, the shape of the letters. You're reading the word, the meaning, the inner content. I don't even see the words. I, I, I'm reading, I don't even pay attention to the words. I'm just, I'm just reading the content. Now, if you read Chinese, you didn't understand the word that you were reading, that's all you would notice is the shape and the definition and how it looks and the, how artistic. A person who understands Chinese doesn't even notice, doesn't know what you're talking about. What, I don't, I'm just reading the inner. The words are nothing. I don't see the words. I see the inner. I don't see words. 
I see the infinite. I don't see the finite. I don't even notice the finite. A per- but once you remove the infinite, a person who is clueless, who doesn't speak the language, doesn't understand what's going on, all he notices is, is the shape and the letters, and that's all he notices. And that becomes his whole reality. He has no clue what's on the inside. So this is before the Tzimtzum and after the Tzimtzum. Before the Tzimtzum, the whole world was filled with God's infinite light. So the, so the letters, the words, I don't notice it. I don't see it. What words? What letters? All I see is the infinite. All I see is God. There's nothing else. Then when God radically removed himself, the Tzimtzum, hid, concealed himself, all of a sudden, this limit, this finiteness emerges and surfaces. And it's within this empty space that God created, that God removing Himself and created this empty space. This allows us to come into being. This allows for something limited and finite to come into being. So this was the process of creation. The process of creation wasn't about self-expression, but the real dynamic of creation, as the, as the Arizal says, Beresh is bara elokim. Elokim means tzimtzum. God had to conceal, remove Himself the first symptom, especially. And then he created an empty space. Within this empty space, this is where our existence can emerge. Being, entities, existence. Even higher levels of existence, higher levels of consciousness, worlds. This whole world, as we know it, can only exist within this frame, framework. And then, God shined a ray of light from the original light after the Tzimtzum a ray of light and this ray of light um, illuminated this space this empty space and that create that started the whole process of creation of Vishtalshulis from one level to another level to another level because even after the Tzimtzum this light this limited light is also too intense for us because if we were to sense this light, we would all be nullified. We would cease to exist. Because again, it would all point to God and it would all be about God and we wouldn't notice, we wouldn't sense ourselves. How do we get to ego? How do we get to a sense of I, a sense of self, a sense of independence? This can only come about through further processes, as he says, many, many, many tzimtzum. Many tzimtzum. It was a whole process of contractions. After the first original contraction, there was a whole process of contraction. And he says the whole point of contraction is to further limit the light and screen the light and limit the light until we can create our physical world. Until we can create a very specific type of energy and life and a limited type of energy and life. And that's the light that fills all the world. That's the light that we sense. That's the energy and life force, the vitality that we sense. But it's completely screened and hidden and concealed. Although we sense our life force, we sense that we're alive, we sense our vitality, we sense that we're alive. But we don't sense the divinity of this life. There's a complete disconnect. We sense that we're alive, but life is the greatest miracle. We should be jumping from joy. I'm alive, it's a miracle. Makes no sense. What do you mean I'm alive? 
We just take it for granted. Well, what do you take for granted? Life. All the scientists in the world can create the life of a firefly. Life comes from within. Life is divine. Life is a miracle. It's not a mechanical event. It's not an external mechanical event. It's divine. It's an open, obvious miracle. But we don't sense it. We sense that we're alive and everyone wants to feel alive and feel passionate and, and vibrant and vital and excited and thrilled about life. But we don't sense, we don't make a connection between the divinity of life, that it's a pure miracle. That's a result of the tzimtzum. That's a result that God concealed himself so well that he fills all the worlds. He's giving us vitality and energy. And the vitality and energy is custom-made everyone according to his ability to receive. And that's why each species has their own type of life. You have the organic life and you have the inorganic life that exists only because it exists. And then you have organic life. It grows. There's a, a more sign of life. And then you have animal life which roams and moves around and has a much higher form of life. And then you have human life which has imagination and has the ability to think and create. And then you have a higher form of life. And then you have all different forms of life. But all of these forms of life come about as a result of the intense screening that completely hides and conceals. Disconnect. We don't sense the divine. We don't sense the original connection. Where it comes from. What it's really all about. We are like the American that's reading Chinese and we have no idea what the content We're looking at it, we're staring at it, and we have no idea what it means. We're looking at life, we're looking at existence, we're looking at reality, and instead of interpreting it correctly, reading it correctly, we don't read it properly. We don't understand it. It's a foreign language to us. So we we spent our whole time defining, talking about the shape of the letter, the scientists, like the five blind men touching the elephant. We think the elephant is a tree trunk. Because, you know, the blind man is touching the, the leg of the elephant. The other one swears the elephant is a rope because it touches the, the, the nose of the elephant. So here you have the scientists measuring the letter, <laughs> taking the letter to the laboratory, uh, defining the letter. But it's all external, superficial. What's the content of the letter? What's the letter? It's the letters carry a meaning. The word means something. There's a story here. There's a message here. There's a content here. Content. I don't see it in the laboratory. I look in the microscope. I don't see content. I don't see message. All I see is a funny-looking letter. That's all it is to me. Nothing more. That's a result of the tzimtzum. Complete disconnect. How blind could you be? Blind, deaf, and dumb. For all your intelligence. You don't see. You don't hear. You don't sense. This is a result of the tzimtzum. So we're alive. God is animating us and creating us and sustaining us each and every moment. God's words and God's letters. And yet we, we don't see, we don't sense, we don't, we don't respond. We're not inspired. We don't get excited. We're not passionate. We're not enthusiastic about godliness and godly things, even though that's our whole being, our whole essence. But we don't. This is the ultimate symptom. This is a result of all the symptomum, God's ability tremendous ability infinite ability to hide to be able to hide in plain sight <laughs> only God can do that <laughs> hide in plain sight he's staring us in the face all there is is God everything we have is God there is nothing else and God what? Who? what? this is the ultimate expression of God that's God's ability of to hide and why did God do this? 
He did it for us, out of his love for us. He removed himself in order to be able to have a relationship with us because God wanted to marry us. Even if you're God, even if you're perfect, you can't marry yourself. Even if you love yourself, you can't marry yourself. <laughs> you can't. Marriage, by definition, is when you forget about yourself. It's not you who make yourself married. It's the other person who chooses you, wants to be with you, you know, loves you and respects you. It's that person who makes you married. You can't make yourself married, even if you're God Almighty Himself. So for whatever reason, God wanted to marry. And therefore, He went out of His way to completely remove Himself, to create that space to enable us to exist, to come into being, to come into existence. So we can have a relationship, a reciprocal relationship. He doesn't impose Himself upon us. He doesn't overwhelm us with His presence. He has confidence in us that we will choose the right thing. We'll have the wisdom to choose the right thing, to understand what's what, what's what and to understand reality and to choose right from wrong and choose truth from lies and truth, uh, choose light from, from, from over shadow and good over evil, life over death. God has trust in us. So it's the ultimate act of love that God cares about us so much, each one of us that he completely removes himself and goes through this whole process of consuming just in order to enable us to exist. So we can have a real relationship, a real marriage. So when you realize this, and that's what he's going to elaborate and explain, he's explaining in this chapter, and he's going to continue in the next chapter, 49. But once you realize it, you can't help but reciprocate. If God completely removes himself, just for our sake, so we can surely, at least a drop, forget about our egos, at least for a second, a moment, a drop, a little bit, for Hashem's sake. He can do that for us, completely self-forgetfulness, completely remove himself just for his love for us. So we can't help but love and care about Hashem as much as he loves and cares about us. And give up a little for him. Remove ourselves a little. It means we have to inconvenience ourselves a little. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. God can do all of this for us. We can lift up a pinky for him too. He won't kill us. That's the bottom line. But here he's first explaining the whole process of creation. So he's saying, so the Orient Sof, the infinite light itself is so infinite that even from the Orient Sof, nothing could be created. Therefore, God had to make the Timson. And he says, I don't want to get into the details of the tzimtzumim, the many, many tzimtzumim. But the bottom line is, basically, you have two different types of life, two levels. You have how God fills all the worlds. And he contracted himself, his light, contracted his infinite light. He didn't contract himself. God's essence cannot be contracted. But he contracted his, his projection, his infinite light, he contracted and he screamed, and then until we reach a point where all we have is just a, a minute, minute level of light, a minute level of energy that we don't even sense, we barely sense. And that's the energy that animates us, that creates us, that sustains us. So although we sense that energy, we sense that vitality, that, but we don't sense the divinity of that uh, energy. And then you have the all-encompassing light, 
which is more like an infinite light. But that infinite light, although it's present, and ultimately it's this infinite light that brings us into existence, that really creates us and sustains us, but it's completely concealed from us. We don't sense it. We don't feel it. And that's what we're going to learn today. It's going to describe these two different uh, types of life forces within us. There is the life that fills us, and then there is the life that encompasses us. It's all-encompassing. And basically, in a nutshell, it's like the difference between the conscious, our consciousness, and our subconscious. Because we operate on two different dimensions. Most people are only aware of our conscious lives. We're conscious of our minds, our intellects, our ability to comprehend, our ability to understand. We're conscious of our ability to feel, to love, to be attracted, to be fearful, to hate, to be repulsed. We're conscious of our ability to feel compassion, We're conscious of our ability to feel competitive, to want to win, to root for the winner. We're conscious of our ability of restraint, of patience, of endurance, to meet a goal, a long-term goal, commitment, vision. vision. All, All these different energies we all have within us. We're conscious of our ability to see, to hear, the senses. We're conscious of our ability to connect with other people to relate to other people. These are all part of our conscious selves. But this part of within within us is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just a fraction of who we are. There's so much going on that we're completely clueless, completely unaware of. 99% of the body, you know how complex the body is? 99% of the body happens unselfconsciously completely clueless. The food we ate today, do we, do we have any clue? The digestive system, what happens, how it happens, we're completely clueless. Things that we take for granted. You know, God forbid, people who lose their ability to eat because of a stroke or other reasons. You know how difficult it is to teach someone how to chew, how to eat? Something that we take for granted. We never even gave it a conscious thought. I mean, growing up, we were given some instructions. Okay, true, but, but we have no idea. It's not, like, it's not like learning violin to play violin. You think playing violin is difficult? Try teaching a special needs child who can't speak. You know how difficult it is to teach someone who doesn't know how to speak how to speak? Violin is, is nothing. It's child play in comparison to getting the, to coordinate your lips and your tongue and your mouth and all the muscle movements that it takes to, to, to give out a sound and to speak coherently it's, but who even gives it a conscious thought yes we're taught, we're copy when we grow up we're taught to say this but we're not really taught how to speak it's not like we're taught how to play violin and then you learn how to play and then you just play automatically no because at one point you have to sit and master how to, how to play the violin and how to play the piano you ne- we're never taught how to speak that way Okay, now move your lips to the tongue of your mouth. Most people go through their entire lives and have no clue 
how they speak. What happens? How do you, how do you make a sound? Different letters, different, different combinations. The lips moving together, the, the tongue of the mouth, the touching the palate of the mouth. Who even thinks about it? Unless you stop and really think about it consciously, you have no clue. You have to study it. it because who even, you want to speak, you decide to speak, and your body automatically speaks. Your body knows exactly what to do. You want to be true, and your body chews. You digest, you digest. You breathe, you breathe. There was once a scientist who decided to learn how to walk, what it takes to walk, all the muscles that are involved in the act of walking. He reached a point, he became paralyzed, because <laughs> he realized that thousands of interactions that have to make a simple step, we take a step forward, we take it for granted. You know what happens to make that step forward? The more he got into it, it was so complex, he got so overwhelmed that he got paralyzed with fear. He couldn't move. Because the body takes care of itself, unselfconsciously. Just, just let go. This whole sense of control, I'm in control and I'm conscious and I know, it's way blown, way out of proportion. Your control of nothing. <laughs> Understand even less. 99.9% of what goes on, you know, the thousands of interactions that happens in your body simultaneously. It's so infinitely complex. It would take a computer the size of the world to be able to, to, to try to simultaneously do what, what, figure out what's happening in your, in your body. The human mind is billions of cells. And they're all interconnected with each other. You know how many trillions and zillions of connections? It's as complex as the whole universe. Hopefully. <laughs> well, obviously, God didn't give us a brain just to figure out how to pay an electric bill. <laughs> he gave us such a complex brain. Obviously, we're here in life to accomplish a lot more than just paying our Con Ed bills. Uh, to pay our, figure out how to pay our rent. It's to understand Hashem. It's to understand godliness. So... There's a whole universe within us. We're oblivious. We're completely oblivious. We have no clue what's going on. Suddenly you get a eureka moment. You're puzzling on a very difficult problem. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a bolt of lightning, a eureka moment. Oh, I have the answer. A strike of lightning. I get it. I see the answer. Where did this come from? I don't know comes out of nowhere. It seems to come out of nowhere. A bolt of lightning. Suddenly I'm standing in the shower I'm walking on the beach. Suddenly the answer comes to me. Brilliant answer. Brilliant solution. Original. Creative. Exciting. Where? Where did it come from? I don't know. It just came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of your subconscious. There's a whole reality within you that you're completely clueless. You have no idea. All you know is when there's that sudden communication from the subconscious to the conscious through that eureka moment, that bolt of lightning, that's a communication, that's a window to, a window to the soul. Suddenly you become aware there's a whole reality within us that there's so much deeper, there's so much more going on. Our whole consciousness is, is just the tip, of the tip of the iceberg. So it's a different type of energy, it's a different type of life. It's a life force, it's called Seviv Kalam. And even the computers now, you know, the whole computers now is, is based on the binary system, right? Zeros and ones. But they're working on a DNA computer. DNA computer is light years, light years ahead. Because that's how the body works. The body doesn't work in zeros and ones and two numbers. That's just technical and mechanical. So even a computer, it's very fast because it can, it can go through a lot of numbers very quickly. 
a DNA computer, the body works simultaneously. There could be tens of thousands of things happening in one split second. It's a whole different way of, of absorbing reality. You know, when, when, when the uh, police, um, when they want to interrogate, sometimes they interrogate people, they hypnotize them to get information. You know, when, when they uh, kidnapped the Israelis in Entebbe in 1976, and they let go all the French, and they only kept the Jews. So before, they invade, before Operation Entebbe, they interrogated the Israeli Shin Bet. They, in, they interrogated um, these people, and they, you know, they hypnotized them because they're able, you, you absorb, we absorb a lot more information than we're consciously aware of. It's like a flood. It's like an ocean of information. We can't handle it. So therefore, we, consciously, we, we just get like a dribble, a drop of information. But the truth is, the subconscious mind doesn't work that way. The subconscious mind takes in, absorbs massive amounts of information. So when they put them under hypnosis, they were able to figure out exactly how many doorways there are, exactly how many people there were. They were able to get all the information, the complete layout, which helped them, helped them in their successful rate. So there's a whole different set of knowledge, of awareness, that we're completely, completely unaware of, blissfully unaware of. But it's deep down within us. And that is really how the body works. That is really how we work on the whole. Even though we're completely unaware of it. You know, we all have a sense of that all-encompassing type of knowledge. You know, someone walks into the room. You have a sense of that person. Some people walk into the room... And you get very excited because it's a positive energy. You just have a good feeling about them. You just you feel better already just seeing them. Some people walk in the room and you cringe. You can't put your finger in it. You just cringe. Something about them. Now, you don't sit and list everything you know about that person. It may take you from today until until next week. It's it's a sense of thousands of things that just summoned up simultaneously and just a, a felt sense of that person. It's a different type of knowledge. It's a much deeper type of knowledge. You think of a symphony, your favorite symphony. You don't think of the hundred instruments and the, all the different notes and the progressions. And it's, it's one sense. I have a sense of the symphony, and it warms your heart, or whatever. So we all are familiar. There is a different type of knowing. It's an instinct. It's a sense. It's, a, it's all-encompassing, simultaneous type of knowledge, which is not the ordinary linear, step-by-step, detail-by-detail type of knowledge, analytical type of knowledge. It's much more of a a holistic, wholesome type of knowledge, which is closer to our self-conscious. But usually, we don't consciously and deliberately operate on that level. We are wired, a (laughs) straitjacketed, to think in a very linear very, very narrow, limited, square way of thinking. That's just the way we're wired. And that's, that's strengthened by our whole educational system, which is all the emphasis is on the analytical and the verbal, and which is very the most external and superficial and conscious level of self. But not our inner, our instinct, our soul, our subconscious way of knowing 
which is much deeper, much more mystical, much more infinite, much more profound, and much more personal and intimate. That's why the West lost its soul. You know, what the West calls enlightenment, we call endarkment. Because it just took them away from their soul. It took them away from God. It took them away from their soul. And, and um, you know, unfortunately, even the Jews were influenced by the endarkment. And, and Judaism became a head trip. It became a head trip. And completely divorced from the inner, from the soul, from the, the mystical, the infinite. Um, so we have two different, two different um, life forces within us, two different approaches. One is a very limited and narrow, which is a result of the symptom, which results in our conscious sense of self, in which our egos are very prominent, our sense of egos of I is very prominent. Versus a much deeper, much more mystical, much richer, much closer to the truth, a, a sense of humility, a sense of going beyond your ego, a sense of connection with others, a sense of, of, the, of the infinite of the world, how infinite and how all of time and space and all souls are all connected and we're all one, versus a very fragmented and linear approach. So that's what he's going to describe now. This is what we call Mamalikalam, and God fills all the worlds, which is, creates a very narrow, limited type of energy and life force, versus Saiv of Kalam, the all encompassing life force, where God transcends the finite and the limited. It's all encompassing. And God animates us and creates us and sustains us and gives us vitality. That's ultimately where we get our. Vitality. That's ultimately the source of our vitality. It's not what we see. The tip of the iceberg is what we don't see. It's what's submerged. And that's really the source of our energy, vitality, existence, being. But that we don't see. That we don't sense. And that's what we're completely oblivious to. Not because it's not real. Not because it's not vital and essential. On the contrary, it's so essential that we don't see it at all. We don't notice it. We're not aware of it. All we're aware of is the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And that becomes the focal point of our whole life. And we completely ignore and completely are oblivious to this infinite energy that we have inside of us, this divine energy that we have inside of us, which is really the core and essence of our being. That's what he calls save of Kalam, the surrounding light, all-encompassing light. But he's clarifying. It doesn't mean that the all-encompassing light is, is external, it's up there in heaven, something otherworldly, something that's not part of our reality. On the contrary, this is the penetrating light. This is the ultimate reality. This is the core and essence. It permeates everything. But because it permeates everything, we don't see it. We're completely oblivious. That's why it's called surrounding. It's only surrounding because in our consciousness. It surrounds our consciousness because we're not conscious of it. But not because it surrounds us literally. It doesn't surround us literally. It's within us. It's all around us. It's everything that we are. It's our being. It's our core. It's our essence. It's the most penetrating light. It's, it, this is the ultimate, ultimately who we really are. But because we don't sense it, so he calls it the surrounding light. It's around us because we don't sense it. Like a subconscious, we don't sense it. Not because the subconscious is peripheral to our being. No. That is the essence of who we are. 
but we're completely oblivious. We're disconnected. As a result of the tzimtzum. That's the result of the contraction and the screening and the limiting and the narrowing. So we don't see it, we don't sense it. But not that it's not there. It's there, it's present, but we don't sense it. And that's the ultimate meaning of the tzimtzum. That's the Alter Rebbe believes. This was the revolution of the Hasidic movement. Because not like other Kabbalists and the, and the Vilna Goy and the Misnagdim who took tzimtzum, the concept of tzimtzum, they took it literally. That God has removed himself, literally, from this world. And Alter Rebbe says, God forbid to say that God removed himself from this world. God forbid. Not only didn't God remove himself from the world, even his infinite light has not been removed from this world. Even as infinite light is present just like it was present before he created the world. There's no difference. Absolutely no difference. His infinite light permeates every aspect of existence. If you, and as modern physics has corroborated, you dig deep down into everything that exists, you go to the essential nature of everything that exists, what are you going to discover? The atom is infinite. It's just as infinitely complex as the whole universe. It's a reflection of the whole universe. The deeper we go into the tiny, the tiny is infinite. Because everything is a reflection of God's infinite light. There is nothing else. Nothing changed. You can discover that infinite divine energy in everything. But we don't sense it. We don't feel it. The idea of symptom is only in relation to our awareness. We're not aware of it. We are oblivious to it. But it doesn't change the reality. The reality is it's here and present and central and essential but we don't sense it. So the tzimtzum is only to us. The tzimtzum is not from God's point of view, not even from God's infinite light, from the, from the light, infinite light point of view, it's only from our point. It's like that beautiful story in the Torah, the powerful story of Joseph and the brothers. Joseph was on one side, and the brothers were on the other side. So let's look at these two perspectives. What happened the moment before Joseph revealed himself? We were the brothers, in the abyss. They lost everything. They were shattered. They were broken. They lost Benjamin. They lost their father. The father was mourning for 22 years. He wasn't the same man. They lost Joseph. They were about to lose Benjamin. I mean, they, were, they reached the abyss. This was the end for them. You couldn't get lower. What happened in the next split second when Joseph reveals himself to his brother? What happened in that moment, that magical moment? They got back Benjamin. They got back Jacob. Jacob came back to life. They got back Joseph. And they realized they never lost Joseph. From Joseph's point of view, there was no change the moment before or the moment after. As a matter of fact, Joseph wasn't even hiding. Joseph was staring him in the face. He was right there, present, talking to them. He was the same Joseph before. He was the same Joseph after. From his point of view, there was absolutely no change before. There was no change of feelings. He had no hard feelings before. He had no hard feelings after. He was grateful. He was thankful. So here you have two, one perspective and another perspective. It's like, it's like that uh, glass. You can only see one way. So you have from God's point of view, there is no symptom. What symptom? Hiding, concealing, darkness. God's point to be nothing changed before, after. 
Everything was light before, everything is light now. All there is is God before, all there is is God now. God's infinite light fills every aspect of creation. There isn't a space empty of God. And that's the core and the essence, and that's the ultimate reality of everything that exists. Down to the pebble, down to the amoeba, down to everything. But we don't see it. From our point of view, there's a tzimtzum. We're completely oblivious to it. All we sense is what we see. The little energy that we see, the little life that we see, that a stone exists, a tree grows, the animal roams, people have imagination. That's all we know. That's all we see. We don't see anything else. But it doesn't change reality. Reality remains, from God's point of view, the ultimate point of view. Nothing changed. So this is the Timsum. So you have the life, how God fills all the worlds, and narrows and constricts Himself according to our limitations, so we can absorb and we can understand and we can feel and we can sense and retain our egos, our sense of identity, our sense of independence. So God completely removes himself and narrows himself and constricts himself and confines himself in order to create us very limited and very defined beings. But then you have God's infinite light, his infinite self, which is the all-encompassing light which animates us and creates us and sustains us. But we don't sense that at all. We're completely oblivious to that light. Even though it's within us. And, it's, and all around us. And yet we completely, we don't feel it, we don't sense it. Okay, so let's learn, page 713. So indeed is the utterly insignificant quality of this minute illumination after the contraction which clothes itself in the higher and lower worlds in order to provide them with sustenance and life. When compared with the quality of the hidden and concealed light, that is of an infinite order, and does not clothe itself or exercise its influence in the worlds in a revealed manner, providing them with life, but encompasses them from above. It exerts its influence while remaining on its own level, and is called Savol Kol Almin, encompassing all worlds. Unlike the light that pervades all worlds, which permeates and vests itself within them, just as the soul vests itself in the body, the encompassing light remains aloof from the worlds. The meaning of this is not that it encircles and encompasses from above far especially, Hashem forbid, for in, a, in spiritual matters, the category of space is in no way applicable. Physical objects are spatial. They may be said to be found in one place or the other. Spiritually, however, is non-spatial. The term encompassing and circling are never to be understood in their literal physical sense. But the meaning is that it encircles and encompasses from above. Insofar as the revelation of this influence is concerned, for influence which is in the category of revelation in the world is referred to as investiture, being clothed within the world. For the influence that they receive is clothed and comprehended by them 
they are able to comprehend and internalize it. So the idea of Malakalamin means when Hashem invests, when the energy, the life force invests itself, so to speak, into us. Like when our teacher, a teacher teaches a student, the teacher invests himself in the student. And he gets into the student's mind and he's communicating with the student. And the student comprehends and grasps and they're communicating and they're talking. They understand each other, they relate to each other, they connect with each other. He's personally investing himself in that, in that uh, transmission. So there's an energy and a life force in which the source invests itself in the, in the receiver. So the life force that we receive, that we comprehend, that we grasp, that we sense... That's the life force that invests itself in us, since we are very limited and finite. So obviously that life source that does invest itself in us, that life force that we sense and on a conscious level is very, very limited, is very minute, is tiny, is insignificant. To us, that's everything. Because that's the only thing we relate to. That's our whole universe. Our whole universe is words, letters, concepts, ideas. That's our whole world. Intellect, emotion, that's our whole universe. We don't know of anything else. To us, the subconscious is a mystery. Anything beyond that is a mystery to us. We barely even acknowledge its existence, that it even exists, let alone that we can relate to it. We can't relate to anything that's beyond our consciousness. Anything that's not square and it's not limited and very defined, we can barely even relate to it. But the truth is, it's the exact opposite. That part that we are able to receive and absorb and grasp is, is, is minute. The most minute of the minute is the tiniest, the most insignificant part. The part that's revealed to us is literally an insignificant energy that comes as a result of screening and limiting and constricting and God uh, constricted and limited himself in order to give us this minute energy that enables us to exist with a sense of independence, sense of ego, sense of separation. But the truth is, the truth is, the real dynamic, the real reality is, what's really going on is that infinite, that mystery that's infinite, that's beyond us, that's totally beyond, not beyond us, it's up there in heaven. God is a man, an old man with a white beard sitting in heaven. No, it's beyond us, it's, it's, all, it's all encompassing. It permeates every fiber of our being and every bone in our body and it's our core and it's our essence and it penetrates every aspect of us. But we don't see it. We're oblivious. We don't sense it. Not because it's not there. Because we, we don't grasp it. We don't have the tools with which to grasp We don't have the tools with which to grasp The atom. Up until 100 years ago, people, people didn't even know it existed. Not because it's not there. We didn't have the tools with which to even grasp it, to even know about it. It means it's not there. It changes anything. All it means is that the scientists are very arrogant. The Enlightenment is very arrogant. Because of their ignorance, because they had no clue what's really going on. Before Einstein and before quantum mechanics, it was just very arrogant. Oh, I understand and I... But as a result of all these revelations, now the scientist admits that the whole known universe is 4% of the Four percent of the universe, ninety-six percent of the universe, is not known. Not only is it not known, it can't be known. We don't even have the tools with which to know. It's a whole different picture, hundred and eighty degree turnaround. No arrogance, total humility. With my mind, I'm trying to figure out 
evolution. I only understand 4% of the universe. I have no idea what's going on. I don't even have the tools with which to know. Not only I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to begin. So where's this habri and this arrogance? Ah, the Torah. <laughs> That's old-fashioned. My enlightened mind. I grasp it all. I understand it all. I'm in charge. I'm in control. The deeper we go, the more we learn, the more we realize we know nothing, we understand nothing, we're in charge of nothing. The more we learn, the more we realize how little we know. It's a whole different world. Suddenly a whole different universe opens up to you. The part that we know is is insignificant. The part that we're capable of knowing is insignificant. The part we're capable of grasping. Because the world inherently, we can't grasp it. The world inherently is infinite. It's undefined. It's infinite. It's totally beyond. We don't even have the tools with which to grasp. We don't even have the tools with which to comprehend. That's why it's called Save of Kalamun. It's surrounding us. Not because it's otherworldly, it's in heaven, it's up there, somewhere, parked somewhere in outer space. God is not outer space. God is right here. Here and now. You and I, me, immediate, current, actual. Real, tangible, personal. But I can't grasp it. So, we, so it's called Sevil Karma. It's beyond us, it surrounds us. But it penetrates us. It's, it's, it is us, it is everything, there is nothing else. It's a whole different point of view. There are those who say literally, yeah, God is Sevil, He's out there somewhere. In the synagogue, on Yom Kippur. Once in a while I'll let him in for my life. Nostalgia, nice memories. But real life. You're talking Washington, you're talking Wall Street, you're talking Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. God, you, you stick to your things. Now you're talking reality, reality. Wall Street is in charge. Washington is in charge. God is... God is everything. There is nothing else. That's save of Kalaman. God is through and through and penetrates Washington and Wall Street. There's nothing else but God. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, business, career, anything that you're doing, everything. It's really all God. There's nothing else. It's a whole different perspective. This revolutionizes our whole approach. Don't approach godliness as something otherworldly, abstract, irrelevant to my life, to real life. A nice hobby. A nice extracurricular event or activity. This is breathe. This is reality. This is living and breathing. This is reality. It's the conscious which we have to really put into its proper place and its proper perspective. It's our whole conscious world that this whole tumult that we, we this habri, this arrogance that we that we we so taken by ourselves. Put it into perspective. You're talking about four percent of the universe, and even that may be an exaggeration. <laughs> Relax. Oh, you have it all figured out. Amazing. 4% of the universe, and you figured it all out. No creation, evolution. That's so, that's, that's dinosaur. That's so ancient. You're rooted in such an ancient, classical understanding of science, which is so outdated and so irrelevant. And so, and any real scientist will can only laugh at this, childish approach which has been totally discredited and outdated this materialistic approach to the world understanding the world 
But the true scientist, who was really penetrated to the core and essence of reality, it's a whole different reality. A whole different point of view, a whole different perspective. As Einstein says, how can you not believe in God? All these pseudo-intellectuals running around, books, God doesn't exist, atheism. You're just displaying your own foolishness. How could you not believe? The more you learn, the more you realize, the more humble you become. You're trying to grasp with your limited, finite mind, you're trying to grasp something that's inherently infinite and undefined and totally beyond our comprehension, and we don't even have the tools with which to comprehend. And our whole limited energy that we are able to grasp, it's so, it's so, it's so insignificant, you can't even say it's insignificant because there's no relation. It's like a zillion comparison to the infinite. There's no relation to it. You can't even compare. So you're trying to understand and grasp. You know, it's like a little child who came to a conclusion, he says, because he was uh, fishing with a net. The net had holes as big as this. He came to the conclusion that no small fish in the ocean. Because he's been fishing and fishing all his life. And he never once caught a fish, but a small fish. Yeah, of course, because the net that you have as a whole of this size, so of course you're not going to catch a small fish. You're trying to, with your mind, with your puny mind, you're trying to grasp the infinite. And then when your mind fails to grasp it, you come to the conclusion the infinite doesn't exist. Really, very interesting. <laughs> Maybe you don't exist. <laughs> but the infinite exists within you, while you're denying all you are is the infinite. There is nothing else. But this is the arrogance in the Habri. But this turns around, this is a very essential point. And that's what Amalek, we'll just conclude, tonight is Rosh Chodesh, but that's what Amalek tried to do, right before the giving of the Torah. This is the month that the Jewish people were traveling to receive the Torah. The last step at the end of this coming month of year, the last final test that they had, they were attacked by Amalek. And Amalek attacked the Jews because the Jews were saying, They doubted. He said, does God exist within us or not? So the Rebbe explained. What they were saying is, does God exist within us? Of course we are Jews, we believe. But, you know, we have to put everything in the right perspective. God is the side of Kalam, in the literal sense. God is around us. He's above us. God is transcendent. God is sublime holiness. Some pristine place in heaven, maybe some pockets in Brooklyn and Jerusalem, but is God within us? Is God really in charge and control? Is God really within us? Here on the Upper East Side, in our daily lives, in the office, at the water cooler, is God really within us? Is it for real? The save of Kalaman means, like the Rebbe explains here, not that God is literally in another place. But God is so permeates everything. He's within us and all around us. But say Klaman because we don't grasp. We can't grasp. We don't have the tools to grasp. Not because He's not here. And therefore, you live your life accordingly. If you realize that God is within us, then your whole being is godly. Everything about you is godly. You act in a godly way. Even when you're on Wall Street and even when you're in Washington, you don't lose yourself. Even when you're standing with the president, you don't lose yourself. You represent the Seyed of Klaman. You represent Hashem. And it's Hashem's world. And you act accordingly. And you carry yourself with dignity. With pride. And you speak like a Jew. And you act like a Jew. And you think like a Jew. With holiness. With respect. With reverence. 
different life. And that's why Amalek hit home. Amalek <coughs> tried to cool off the Jew. Of course, have faith, but he said, save of Kalalman means literally, God is, you know, God is somewhere. In the shtetl, God existed, you know, in the ancient past. On Yom Kippur, God exists. We'll grant you that. Certain pockets, God exists. In the real world, <coughs> no. Here, you've got to play by the rules. You've got to play by the rules of the gutter, the rules of the streets. The Torah, that's, for, that's not for the real world, really. This is, this is the mistake. God is within us. God is, penetrates our very core, our very essence. God is. Nothing changes. Nothing. Truth doesn't change. The same God, and we're the same Jew that stood at Sinai, and we're the same Jew that stood in the temple with the prophets, and we're the same Jew who stood with the Tannoyim, the Tambudik rabbis, we're the same Jew who stood with Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi, we're the same Jew who stood with the Rashi and Maimonides, we're the same Jew who stood with the Ariza, we're the same Jew who stood with the Balshemta, with the Rebbe, we're the same Jew. Core and essence don't change. This is, this is reality. Godliness is reality. Not some abstraction, not some otherworldly reality, not some. It's 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 within us. That's what he's saying. Save of Kalman, this is a very essential point. Don't think, don't mistake that Save of Kalman means this was the Hasidic revolution we'll discuss next week. Versus the other, the Mitnagdim, who said, No, God removed himself. God is not really present. And we'll discuss what that means also. Because you're talking about Jews believers, great Jews, not the simple children. Um, but the Hasidic idea was no, God is present, nothing changed. To be continued. The happy Rosh Chodesh. I have one question. Yes. We don't comprehend our subconscious. Does our subconscious comprehend more of this than we, Absolutely. Than we know? Absolutely. No, 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 than we know. Absolutely. Even when you're not aware, your subconscious is operating full steam. And once in a while we get glimpses of it. I mean, you dream in a dream state. You get some communication through your subconscious, some so inspiration. more revelation than we know. About. Absolutely. It has a life of its own. Thank God. Thank God we're not who we think we are. <laughs> and Rabbi, where does our free will lie? Which light? The light that's concealed or the light? No, it's, it's the light that's revealed because that gives us freedom of choice. That's what enables our freedom of choice, but that's what enables a relationship. Because now we have freedom of choice, we deliberately choose to, to want to enter into a relationship with God. It's our choice. That's the whole purpose. That's the ultimate act of love. That's why God did all of this, to give us that space, to give us that freedom of choice that we should choose to have that relationship. Otherwise, God just overwhelms us with His presence. Angels don't have freedom of choice. It's no big deal that they worship God. They don't have a choice, really. I mean, God is so obvious. It's so self-evident. In heaven, you don't need faith. It's so transparent. It's in this world where everything is obscure and dark and it's questionable, it's not clear, and you have contradictions and you have questions and you have uh, from obstacles from within and from without and curves from left field, and yet you have the wisdom to realize the truth and to willingly choose to enter into a relationship with God. That's what makes it so precious. Then you own it. It's your thing. It's your decision. And that's, that's what makes the marriage. That's why God married us. And that's why He chose us. And he, he associates His name with each and every one of us. Not only our souls, but it was, as we're going to learn, even our bodies, physical selves. We continue. Happy Rosh Chodesh. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.